Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Our lead pastors, Brian and Perry, are away ministering on the other side of the world in India. So if you would, keep them in your prayers this week as they continue to minister. I pray that uh, in giving of themselves, that they would not return to us exhausted, but in a mystery that they themselves would be filled up. Amen? Filled up and refreshed. Amen. Today's sermon comes from our reading from Isaiah 58, and today's sermon title comes from verse 8 when the prophet poet Isaiah writes, Then your light shall break forth like the dawn. Our sermon title is Break Forth Like the Dawn. It sounds like an upcoming Star Wars film. <laughs> I, I love the dawn. I love sunrises. Can I get a witness? Anybody else with me? Yes. Do I have any morning people here? Are you morning people? Yeah, morning people. Woo! You came to church excited. Everyone else is annoyed. It's okay. I'm with you. Any night people in the house? I, yeah, I'm with you too. What happens when you're a night person and a morning person? I'll tell you, you don't get much sleep. That, that's what happens. But when you do sleep, it better be good. Quality over quantity. I, I got small children at home, so I love mornings. I do. I just, I love it. Uh, but I also love evenings because my kids are in bed and it's like, it's my only time. You know what I'm saying? Parents know what I'm talking about. But I love the mornings because of the sunrise, I think. I think that's why I love mornings. I've kind of thought about it this week. I, I, I'm so grateful. My house has three big windows in the kitchen that face due east and we're up on a hill. So every morning as I make my my pour over coffee, my bacon and eggs. No, I don't have bacon every morning. I wish. Uh, but as I make my breakfast, my coffee, and I sit at the kitchen table, I get to witness the dawn of a new day. The sun peeking over the horizon, painting the sky with color, the light and warmth and life of a new day breaking forth. And no matter how many times I witness it, it makes me pause. I just go, whoa. Especially when those colors are vibrant, I just, I, I, whatever I'm doing, I stop. I grab my kids, if they're running around, I'm like, look at the sky. They're like, yeah, great, Dad, all right. <laughs> but for me, it's like this wonder erupts in me at the dawn of a new day. I think just as a human experience, the beauty of the morning sunrise captivates and captures our attention and awakens wonder within us. I really do. But for those of us here this morning who have oriented our lives around the life of Christ, uh, the, the dawn of a new day also, a sunrise also reminds us of the light which has come into the world. This light of the world that is, has been breaking into the darkness since that babe came wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. John opens his gospel reminding us that Jesus is the life the divine life and the life of Jesus is the light of the world and it is the light that has come into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. 
Amen? This is gospel truth. This is good news. And then Jesus in the gospel of John, he continues twice. He says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, in John 12, Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And we have the same the same theme echoing in the book of Isaiah chapter nine and that famous Christmas passage, which we quote each year where Isaiah writes, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And this is still our hope. This is what we will explore this morning together. How might our world and the people living in a deep darkness catch a glimpse of that hope, catch a glimpse of the salvation of God, catch a glimpse of that great light that Isaiah writes of? Throughout the Bible, we see this theme of light breaking into darkness as one of the primary themes in which we talk about the salvation of God breaking into the world. The tale of light and darkness, it's as old as time. And Star Wars knows it. They've, they've kind of grabbed onto that and created an empire of films and series all about this tension between light and darkness. They call it the force and the dark side, the tension between good and evil. And, and though the tale is as old as time, we still experience the same story, the same saga of light and darkness in our lives. We see it in children, right? Even at an early age, children are afraid of the dark. If you grew up in the time that I grew up, this will, this will tell you the era that I grew up, there was a network, still exists, Nickelodeon. They had a series, who knows it? Are you afraid of the dark? Yes, I heard it. Are you afraid of the dark? I wasn't allowed to watch that because I grew up in an evangelical Christian home, uh, Word of Faith, and we were having nothing to do with the dark. Are you kidding me? And no Care Bears and no Smurfs, no magic, none of it. No, no Ninja Turtles? Uh-uh, not gonna happen. <laughs> it's all good. I had Salty the Songbook though. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Man, that was creepier than any of those other things, right? <laughs> Woo. Look it up, Google that, Salty the Songbook. It's nightmares. <laughs> all right. <laughs> These are not in my notes. But I always prided myself as a kid who was not afraid of the dark. Are you afraid of the dark? I was like, no, I'm not afraid of the dark. Dark, yeah, whatever. I, pff, no problem. Who needs a nightlight? Until this one moment in life when I was actually a preteen, not even a child anymore, and I borrowed my dad's shovel for, I don't know what I was working on. And I, this was my first mistake. I didn't ask my dad, all right? So this was like a cardinal sin in my house. I borrowed my dad's tools without asking, and I took the shovel. I was in the woods. I was always in the woods growing up. I was always in the woods. I just, this is family Sunday. We got our kids and our students with us this morning. And I just want to say to you, go outside. Whenever you can, get outside. It's good for your soul. It's so good for you. I, I think about my childhood, and the best parts of my childhood were the fact that I spent so much time outside. So if you have a Nintendo Switch that you just can't put down, when the weather's nice, at least sit on the back deck outside and play. I don't know. Find a compromise. But get outside. And parents, let your kids outside. Do it safely, of course, but find a way to get your kids outside as much as you can. Amen. That's enough to just go home on right now, but we'll just continue. So I was out in the woods with my dad's shovel working on whatever, and it was time to go home for supper. 
And you know what, when it was time to go home for supper, because it was starting to get dark. So I, I went home, I had supper, and at the dinner table, <gasps> I realized, second big mistake. Borrowed my dad's shovel without asking, then I left it in the woods. So after supper, without a word to my family, I run through the neighborhood, I dive into the woods, and now it's pitch black, and I'm in the woods, alone at night with no moon, and I'm terrified. If you've ever been in the woods at night with no moon by yourself, you now know why kids are afraid of the dark. Because darkness, it represents the dominion of evil. It is the place where God's saving, healing, restorative work has yet to come. It is the place of death awaiting the light of God to come and bring life. Darkness is the place of uncertainty, the place of shame, anxiety, fear, and destruction. And as children, we are afraid of the dark, yes, but as adults, we come to know the darkness in a different kind of way, and yet it still brings forth and produces this childlike fear in us again, in which we long and hope for the lights to come on, for us to be saved and safe once again. Isaiah uses this theme of light and dark as he describes Israel's saga of exile and exodus. The Babylonian exile is a major part of the story of Israel. We find it in the genealogy of Jesus in the opening of the New Testament that the, the Babylonian exile is a big deal in the story of Israel and therefore a big deal in the story of Jesus. And Isaiah, we have the book of Isaiah as one book in our, in our Bible, but it's actually uh, a collection, three collections of writings. And they were all written during this time of exile and exodus, return of Israel to Jerusalem. The first collection of writings in Isaiah was written by the prophet Isaiah. The second collection, possibly uh, prophets under Isaiah, a school of prophets, we're not quite sure. The third collection of writings, which starts in chapter 56, in which we find our reading today, uh, we don't know who wrote it. It is, we're just not sure who wrote uh, these writings, but that doesn't negate the fact that God is using them as a prophetic voice to his people then and hopefully to us now this morning. Isaiah 58 specifically is written after Israel had been conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar II. He is a Babylonian king who come and, and he conquers Israel. He destroys the city of Israel and he carries the people of God off into exile. <sighs> Isaiah 58 happens after the exile, but it also happens after the king of Babylon himself is defeated by another empire, the king of Persia. Cyrus the Great defeats the king of Babylon. And in Isaiah, we see that Cyrus the Great is called the anointed of God. This is like a Messiah figure, a savior figure that God has used the king of Persia to set free the people of Israel. And so they rejoice at this. And now we see a second exodus occur. After exile for either 48 years or 70 years, there's dispute here. People argue about it. It's basically how you count it up, like when exile starts and ends. It's 
for our sake this morning, it's just a long time. Does that work? 48 years, 70 years, a long time. Generations, they've been away from their holy city. They, they've not had a temple to worship in. They have been in exile and in shame as the people of Yahweh who have been carried off and defeated. But now they get to return to their homeland. It's like a second exodus, not from Egypt this time, but from Babylon and so they are returning from the land of deep darkness, exile. Exile is the place of darkness. It's the place where God was not felt, his voice was not heard. And in the returning to their land, the people of Israel are seeking to be restored and healed. They've been broken, they've been wounded, and they're hoping to return from exile to their way of life again, which is centered in worship in the temple. This is their great hope, that their ancient ruins would be rebuilt and that they would once again be a worshiping people with a temple and a holy city. All right, so that's the, that's the backdrop for Isaiah 58. And the people of Israel are seeking God and in doing so, they, they're, they're committing themselves to religious practices as worshiping people do. Uh, but they've neglected some of the other uh, areas of worship that have to do with justice, with caring for the poor among them. And that's where we pick up this conversation, a dialogue this morning between God and Israel. And it reminds me of the dialogue between God and Job. Uh, with the dialogue between God and Job, do you know that it kind of crescendos with Job pointing a finger at God and saying a few words, and then God just goes off for a while? Like you don't, yeah. So you're going to see a little bit of that in Isaiah 58 between God and Israel. Let's just pick it up in, in verse two. We're just going to work through Isaiah 58 together uh, because this is definitely a sermon in itself. This is God speaking in Isaiah 58, chapter two. Yet day after day, they seek me, talking about Israel, and delight to know my ways as if, as if, you, we have that phrase, as if. As if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask for righteous judgments. You know, that reminds me of the Psalms. The, the Psalms is always asking for righteous judgments. God, uh, judge in equity, cast down the wicked and uphold the cause of the righteous. And you know who's always on the side of the righteous is the person praying the prayer, right? And this is Israel asking for righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. So you feel the tension. God is like, okay, okay, but you still haven't held up my ordinances. You haven't kept my ordinances. And Israel responds and says this. This is Israel speaking to God. Why do we fast? But you do not see. Why humble ourselves? But you do not notice. They're saying, God, where are you? We're back in the Holy Land. We're fasting and praying. We're seeking you. We delight to seek you. Where are you at? Why are you not answering us? And then God begins to speak again. Look, you serve your own interests on your fast day. You serve your own interest on your fast day. What is their interest to be healed and made whole for their city to be rebuilt for God to come and save and provide and redeem the people of Israel? But as they do, it says, and you oppress all your workers. 
You take advantage of those who work for you. You don't provide them a living wage or decent benefits. You don't give them sick days or days off to care for their families. You, you use them, you abuse them, and then you cast them out and do it again and again. That, that's what he's saying. And yet you come to me with fasting and prayer, hoping that I'm going to save you and provide for you when you don't save and provide for those within your care. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. How often do religious disciplines, religious piety, religious devotion turn into fuel for our weapons in the us versus them war, right? We utilize our own religious piety uh, to, to fight against those that we view as our enemy instead of letting Jesus lead us to the place of love of enemy. Uh, I'm sorry, he's talking to Israel, not us. Sorry, sorry about that. Um, Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? In other words, is your fast just lip service to say, Lord, we just humble ourselves. We just humble ourselves. God is like, is this the fast that I'm calling you to just to be humble in your words? In your, in, in your worship postures, but then, this is, then God begins to describe the fast that he is calling them to. God says, is, this, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice. Hey, when you hear something good, you can say amen, all right? This is like a good sermon about to get fired up. Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover them, and not hide yourself from your own kin? Come on. God has said, this is the fast that I'm calling you to. This is the people that I've called you to be. And to not hide yourself from your own kin. In other words, when you see the hungry, the homeless, and the shamed, and the naked, you recognize them not as those that are different than you, but your brothers and sisters, your fellow mankind who are a part of this family of humanity where we are all called children of the living God. Do not hide yourself from your own kin. It reminds me of John Donne's poem that I, I, I just, oh, I, I embrace and love so much. No man is an island unto himself, entire of itself. Every man is a, part, a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a cloud be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as if a promontory were, as well as any manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Every man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never sin to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. I am involved in mankind. Do not hide yourself from your own kin. And if we do this, seeing that the hungry, the homeless, the shamed are our brothers and sisters in need of care, our help. If we do this, if Israel does this, this is what God says. Verse eight, then your light shall break forth like the dawn. Your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer 
you shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. Israel's cry in verse three, they say, oh God, where are you? We fast and you do not see us. We seek you and, and, and you do not know us. And God is saying, well, if you want to know my presence, if you want to, to be in my presence, hear my voice, if you want me to answer your cry, then I want you to feed the hungry, house the homeless, and clothe the naked, care for the afflicted among you. If you do that, not forsaking your own kin, then I will hear your cry and answer your prayer and say, here am I. It reminds me of the words of Jesus spoken to those that he says he places on his right in judgment. He says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was sick and you cared for me. And those on his right will say to the Lord, when Lord, were you hungry and we fed you? Thirsty and we gave you drink, naked and we clothed you. When, Lord, were you in prison and we visited you or sick and we cared for you? And the Lord will say to them, what you've done unto the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it unto me. So true that even in our place of need, when we are needing to encounter Jesus, there's a phenomenon in which you find uh, that a place to encounter Jesus is when you, out of even your place of need, in a dark day for you, you, f- you find by the power of the Holy Spirit the wherewithal to go out and serve the other. Oh, it's in that place that we often encounter Jesus. I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I'll sign up to volunteer to do something. And then the day comes and I think, oh man, I'm a little busy, I'm tired, I'm worn out, usually serving my own interest. Like, I don't know, I got work to do, I got things to do, the, to do, the honey-do list at home is really long, this is my Saturday morning. I, you know, I, but I've committed, so I drag myself, you know, to the food bank, or I drag myself to, you know, I, the food kitchen, or whatever it may be. I drag myself to visit that family member that's on hospice at home and homebound that, you know, it's not really that fun to go visit. You don't know what to say, but you know you should, so you take yourself there. And it happens every time. You serve, you give, you care for the needs of the afflicted, you feed the hungry, and you walk away, and you know what everyone's response is? Boy, I'm glad I did that. I I just, I've experienced that every time. I'm glad I did that. And I feel a sense of satisfaction for my soul. That healing that occurs. Because I believe that it's in the presence of the least of these that we actually experience the presence of Jesus. The Lord says, if you do this, then God will say, Here I am. That's the end of our reading this morning, but I'm going to continue because in the lectionary we can and I will because it's just so good. Verse nine continues. If you remove the yoke from among you, listen to this, if you remove the pointing of the finger, blame and accusation, remove the speaking of evil, If you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness. Your gloom will be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, satisfy your needs in the parched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like 
a spring of water whose water never fails. Then here, this is where our, our, this whole portion concludes, circling back to what Israel really desired. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. Amen. Israel, though they worshiped God, and should we worship? Yes, yes. Can I just pause? Should we worship? The answer is yes. Israel was fasting and praying. Should we fast and pray? Yes, of course. But our worship must not be void of compassion in our streets. I'll say it like this. We must both worship Jesus in the sanctuary and work for justice in the neighborhood. We must both work, worship Jesus in the sanctuary and work for justice in the neighborhood. We must do both. We are called to be a worshiping and just community. If you know about the journey at Word of Life, that is, that is what we are seeking to be, a worshiping and just community here at Word of Life Church. As St. Jerome says it, the gospel when lived out has one eye on the poor. And Dr. Walter Brueggemann, he reminds us that we worship a God who is out working in the neighborhood and calls us to do the same. And as a people, we, we look at the world we live in and we can sense the darkness, the woundedness, the need for healing. Maybe we ourselves find ourselves in deep darkness, in need of healing. And I believe that here in this place that we all have gathered because we've come to know and love and worship the one who can bring light to the darkness and healing to the woundedness. Come on, the light of the world, Jesus, that there is no other name above the name of Jesus, that, that Jesus is the name. We just sang about it in this new song, no other. No other name has the power to heal. No other name has the hope that we, we, we need, has the power over death in the grave. It is the name of Jesus Jesus, this name, which is above all names, the light of the world, says to you and I, his church, these words in Matthew 5. The light of the world says to us, you, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, your good works, and give glory to your Father in heaven. You know how Jesus chooses for his light, the life of man, to continue to shine in the world through the work of his church. Those of us who have said Jesus is Lord, committed our lives to following Jesus, to worshiping Jesus, Jesus then says, well, if you love me, you will do what I command. And what does Jesus command of us? To go into the world as a light, doing good works, working for the the good, the common good of all, that people may see those good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. So it looks like this. What does light breaking forth like the dawn look like? It looks like when two social workers from Rubidoux Middle School walk in the church doors on a Monday. Rubidoux Middle School is a local school here in our community. And they, they come into the church doors and they say, we have a problem. We have about 40 students, 50 students, who go home at night and don't have any food. 
go home on the weekends and don't have any food or don't have any parents available to cook them food. And if their bellies are empty, then their minds are empty because they can't get an education if their basic needs of food are not met. And if they can't get an education, then we don't know what their future holds. And so with worry and anxiety and fear about the future, not knowing how they're gonna take care of these kids because the food donations they were receiving have been reduced and they're looking at an empty store closet and looking at the empty bellies of these children and their hearts are broken and they say, we don't know what to do. So they walk in the doors of a church, Word of Life Church on a Monday morning. They meet with Megan Taylor, our social justice director. And Megan says, okay, We're gonna do something. I don't know exactly what we're gonna do, but for sure, come back in one week next Monday and I'll have a $500 gift card out of Project 58, our benevolence ministry. I'll have a $500 gift card that'll at least get you through the week. And then we'll work together to see what the solution can be moving forward. Oh, relieved, they they leave and they come back the next week on Monday. Little did they know that, this was this past Monday, that the Sunday before, just last Sunday, that... We got up here and shared about this need with you all, the church, those of you in the sanctuary and those of you online. And we said, there are these kids at Rubidoux Middle School that don't have food at home and they need food and we want to feed them. So if you can help out, $15 feeds a kid for a day, $250 feeds a kid for a week. And you know what? If we just want to take care of all of the kids for the rest of the school year, we need to raise $10,000. So Monday morning comes around. Megan meets with these two social workers in the porch at a table. And she says, hey, here's that $500 gift card that you guys were coming for. And they said, oh, thank you so much. This just means the world to us. You don't know. We didn't know how we were going to get through it. Just thank you so much, so much. And then she says, no, that's not all. And she slides an envelope across the table. And the women open the envelope And inside, they don't have words. They just keep, like I said, they, they would look at the check. They would look at her. They would look at the check. $11,000 in one Sunday. They said, we didn't promote this for weeks. We just said, there's a need. There's a people living in deep darkness of hunger and we're gonna feed the hungry. And the church said, yes, we will shine bright like the dawn. We will let the sun rise upon Rubidoux Middle School and those children's home and bring life and light and beauty. And the ladies looked at the check and then just hot tears began to stream down their face because they're experiencing the hope of salvation, the light of Christ shining bright in and through the church. The light shining like the dawn also looks like a group of adults who give up every Wednesday night to be here at the church. I just wanna say that every volunteer in our family ministries is my hero. We have a lot of volunteers that serve in a lot of capacities here at the church at Wide. But I just was thinking about this week. Uh, I particularly growing up had a very dark um, season of life when I was a teenager and there was a group of adults who were there for me as the presence of Jesus when I needed it. And I'm so thankful. The light shining bright looks like this group of youth leaders that show up every single week on Wednesday night. They give up their weeknight 
to be present to a group of teenagers who are learning what it looks like to come into a place that's a shelter from the storm out there. And they're removing the pointing of the finger and the evil talk and they're learning the language of love around a meal. And they're sharing their opinions and exploring questions about life and faith in God and learning the ways of Jesus at an early age, repairing the breach, come on, rebuilding the foundations for generations to come. And I applaud them every week. I say, there is the light of Christ shining bright, not because of just the words they speak, but because of their very presence to these teenagers on their good days and their bad days. They're there each and every week. And you know what the crazy thing is? More teenagers keep coming. They keep inviting their friends saying, hey, you need this. You need to come and experience what I've experienced. And we're not like really trying to grow right now and it just keeps growing. And now, you know what I found? I don't have enough leaders. I really don't. There's like two, we got another one, three guy leaders. I need more leaders. So I'm gonna invite you to answer the call, the fast that God has called us to and care for those among us. And, and possibly even now the Lord is speaking to you to say, yes, I, I wanna join that light that shines bright on Wednesday night. Come talk to me after service. We need more help. We're outgrowing our space. We need uh, uh, leaders to say yes to being present to teenagers on Wednesday nights. You can also shine bright by going to Second Harvest this week. It just happens to be that this Saturday is our Saturday to serve, February 11th. There's a table in the foyer. You can sign up. And it just so happens that it's Family Sunday. Guess what? If you're a kid seven years or older, you can serve with your family too. So rally the family together. Let's go help feed the hungry by partnering with Second Harvest and serving from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. this Saturday. Another opportunity you have is Project 58 each and every week. This is how we let our light shine bright. Word of Life is committed to adopting as an ode to the early church Friday fast, this practice of giving up lunch on Friday and giving our lunch money to Project 58. There are those boxes at the back as you walk out. I encourage you just to, to drop your lunch money in there each and every week and watch the light of Christ shine bright through the church as we care for widows, single mothers, those that are sick among us who need help with the medical costs that they face, those who may not have heat in the wintertime. And, and we help... Their, them meet their, their bills and keep the heat on, etc. All these great things. We list it in the bulletin every week. So check out the bulletin for the report on Project 58. All of these are ways that we shine bright like the dawn. And it doesn't stop there. This week, today, as you go into the rest of your day and into the rest of your week, the light shining like a city set up on the hill, looks like breaking out of isolation and becoming neighborly again. It looks like trading in our fingers of accusation and blame during a heated political season and instead working hand in hand together for the common good of all. This week, it looks like quieting our weapons of words and speaking loudly the language of love and life. This week, may we be the people that repair the breach and restore the streets. Let us be the dawn of a new day. Let us repair what has been broken down and therefore begin to raise up a foundation for generations to come. In this community, in our neighborhoods, among our friends, among our family, in our workplaces, in our nation and around the world. And with Christ as our cornerstone, Jesus leading the way 
in giving the gift of the Holy Spirit afresh and anew each day to those who would ask. May we leave these four walls in which we worship to serve the streets that we came down to get here. Amen? Amen. This morning as we prepare to come to the table of the Lord together, I would just want to speak to those of you who feel like maybe you find yourself in deep darkness. You're in need of healing. Maybe you're in a place of woundedness. You feel lost, confused, full of anxiety, fear, maybe even self-loathing. She would say, I need, I may not need physical bread, but I need the bread of life. I just want to say that you're going to have the opportunity. Everyone's going to be invited to receive the life of Jesus, the healing life of Jesus here in this bread and in this cup. So I invite you to say yes to Jesus this morning as you receive communion. Just a moment, you'll be released row by row. The ushers will release you to come down and someone will have a basket of bread and they'll say the body of Christ broken for you. Another person will have a cup and say the blood of Christ shed for you. I invite you to take that bread and dip it in the cup and receive into yourself the very life of Jesus that you might find healing and wholeness. But I'm not gonna stop there. I'm also going to invite you to let us know what you're struggling with. There's some care cards in the seat back in front of you. And if you're in need or you have a neighbor in need or a family member in need, we want to know about it as the church so that we can be the church, so that we can care for the afflicted among us. Would you fill out that care card? And just as you exit today, you can drop it in one of the Project 58 boxes. Because we want to offer you, yes, the bread of life, but we also want to make sure that your pantries are full too if you need it, if you need it. And for the rest of us, ah, we get to, we get to share in the divine life of Jesus this morning. Accept into our lives the light of Christ that we might go out and be the light of Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me? It's fitting that we pray this prayer of St. Francis together today and we'll confess our faith make a confession of our sins, receive forgiveness, and then participate in communion together this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Let us confess our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, 
and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let us confess our sins together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, I say to you, your sins are forgiven. Now this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. And it is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. For it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you.